Listening Dog Media. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. The Athletic. Hello, it's the Offside Rule. Kate Borsay here with you. And what a show we've got lined up for you today, listeners. Coming up later, we're going to put VAR under the microscope. Da, da, da. It is the discussion that continues and will dominate football headlines. I guarantee if you search it up on Google right now, VAR will generate at least three or four stories in the last week or so. Uh, we're going to put it Our. under the microscope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we're going to put it under the microscope because we are now in our fourth season of VAR. So is it working? Where does it go in the future? Are we all happy with it? What are our grievances? We'll be discussing that with former Premier League referee Dermot Gallagher. And uh, Hayley McQueen's not with us today. You heard her pipe up in the background there. Uh, I'm joined by my brilliant partner in crime, Wolves survivor, podcast star, Premier League broadcaster, Lindsay Hooper. Hi, Linz. Hello, Kate. You've been a busy lady as ever. Uh, we do joke on this podcast a bit about you traveling the length and breadth of the country. You do, though. This is a big feature <laughs> of your job. Uh, and it saw you go to Ewood Park this weekend or last weekend as well uh, for Soccer Saturday. Blackburn winning that one, 1-0. Um, um, I, I, had to, I had to look up actually that it that it was still Ewood Park. It felt it felt very retro to call a football stadium by its original name. I have to say, with so much sponsorship. Uh, but how did you find the game? Yeah, I think if you were to look back at some of the games I've done for Soccer Saturday or Soccer Special recently, there would be a theme, Kate, and that's probably no more than two goals. <laughs> it's either one nil, nil nil. 1-1. I've, I've not had many goals at all. It was great to go back to Ewood Park. So it's been several years since I've been there. And you're right, it's still stuck in that time warp. I went and I was like, oh, I remember this. I remember that. Um, <laughs> do the Venkis still own Blackburn, by the way, just still, as I'm yes. sort of catching up on Blackburn news? They do. I don't know whether they've uh, decided not to get as involved. Because you remember when they came up with all these harebrained schemes, but now there's just... The chicken they, adverts. Yeah, they've just got Venkis around the stadium. They certainly don't provide any chicken at half time. I can tell you that much. <laughs> when I went down at half time to go and get my cup of tea, I think cup of tea or coffee was all you were really going to get. There were a few sandwiches and that was it. 
um, they'd left a set of scales by the door. What? As in weighing scales? Yes, there were a set of scales. So I nearly went for the sandwich and then I thought, oh, maybe Christmas is coming. Press boxes, some of them, I'll come on to that as well, are getting smaller and smaller or I found some very tight ones again. (laughs) Maybe with the scales there, that's a good reminder, Lindsay. Don't go for the bread. Leave the carbs for today. Certainly Uh, no pies. We should say that uh, about a month ago, we were talking about Lindsay having to climb up a very high ladder to get to a reporting position uh, at one stadium. Uh, It seems she's being weighed in uh, (laughs) for the next position. (laughs) I don't know what they've been doing to you. Goodness me. Um, So uh, behind the scenes at Ewood Park, a very interesting experience for a reporter then, Lindsay. Yeah, and it's a very high up position at Ewood Park, actually. You don't have to go up any vertical stairs, thank goodness. But just to give you an idea, because a lot of people wonder how it all works. You know, my back is to the action. So I'm looking into a camera lens and have a light on me. And that if I'm lucky, if I do a championship game, I might get a monitor. So I might get a replay if something contentious happens. But League One, League Two, you don't get a monitor. I mean, I've done some games where I've been in a corner near the goal line without any monitor and I can hardly see what's going on. So... (laughs) It can be testing. I think people think How that How do you this... do that? Do you just need a friendly fan to hold up a notepad? <laughs> <laughs> this has just happened. <laughs> I, I, just wa- I just watch it, Kate, and then I just think I'll listen Side in my eye. earpiece. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and if I think that they're coming to me, I'll turn around. But you are going to catch me one week on the side profile for sure because I like to watch the game as I would normally. Um, I do take a few little notes, not very many though. You can't really look down. It's a different challenge. You know that I um, I did final score for 14 years mm. doing reporting and updates and you, you'll never envision for those. It just puts your name and a graphic up and I didn't realise how easy I'd got it. <laughs> <laughs> Love those new challenges. Blackburn winning that one, that takes from just two points. Um, behind Burnley, who sit at the top of the championship, of course. Mm. It's tight up there. And we've had the Carabao Cup, the League Cup action uh, this week as well, haven't we? Yeah, and that one went to penalties for me. So I did Stevenage against Charlton, whereby Stevenage were on top for the majority of the game. But their game management to see it out at 1-0 was just awful. They started just handing the ball back to Charlton. Inevitably, they got the equaliser, went to penalties, and then Charlton won it. But my observation about this one, given that you'll know Griffin Park very well, but since Brentford moved from Griffin Park to the GTEC Community Stadium, I think this, the Lamex, has now got the tightest press box in the whole country. <laughs> I could hardly move. I was I was wedged in. Uh, there wasn't a gap. Um, in fact, I had a little... It wasn't technic- just a popular game. There weren't just <laughs> loads of you there. Well, there were loads of us there, but there was also a technical issue where I needed to get to the ISDM box. So there's a phone line that you you plug into because um, this one wasn't Envision. It was just a, a voice voice piece. And I needed to get the number on the box and I, could, I had to wrestle through about seven journalists to try and get to the box with 10 minutes till kickoff. But yeah, I, I also had elbows in my face and yeah. What, journalist elbows in your face? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whoa, do we need to not out by, anyone not here on, on the podcast? Okay, not fine, purpose, just but... a little bit of hustling around, jostling around. I mean, it's it is one of those situations where being British, we are awfully polite about things, but there are some situations, Lindsay, when I've been in press packs in high-density situations like that, sometimes you just have to muscle in, don't you? Well, I did push said journalist's elbow back towards him. 
<laughs> it was a him then, Linz. <laughs> it was a him. In fact, it wouldn't take much digging to find out who it was. Oh, it really no. would but, um, but yeah, yeah. I, at one point, I did say as well, can less of the manspreading, please. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, good, yeah. good. <laughs> uh, I think I'm. I think I'm getting a picture of who this person might be now. Uh, someone who we've both worked with in the past. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Jolly good, jolly good. Often covers the London patch. <laughs> um, uh, uh, talking of the Carabao Cup, I mean, what what is going on with Everton? I mean, not oh. just the EFL Cup and that really heavy defeat by Bournemouth, but but also in general, it's. Do you know what? It's really sad as a Liverpool fan to see this unfolding as well because we're used to this rich tradition, not not necessarily a rich rivalry, but it's just, it's just you know, for me as a football fan, really sad to see Everton doing so badly. I think there will be more backlash for this result in the Carabao Cup against Bournemouth for Frank Lampard than there will be for anything to do with the start of this season. I think this is the result that has really antagonised a section of the supporters who thought... This is our only chance to get further down into a competition, maybe semi-finals. If you if you really really pushed, mm. you are you are expecting Premier League teams to be the ones still standing in the latter stages, and the changes that were made. This what clearly he made was, eleven changes, yeah. didn't he, Lampard? But then yeah. but then Bournemouth made made changes too. So I was going to ask if it if it sort of was in the changes. So that was just perhaps a desperate plea by Frank Lampard to just try and mix it up, to try and do something different with his team. I think though, Kate, when you take into consideration that Bournemouth, the expectation this Premier League season was not great and they've overperformed. So you've got a team that have over-delivered what many people thought they've been doing really well. Um, Everton off the back of last season where they nearly got relegated. They haven't actually been that convincing this season either. So you've got a team with greater expectation underperforming against a team that are over-delivering. And I think that plays into it. So you just need to get it done. You need to get it done. Field a strong team. I think that's how a a lot of the support are feeling about it. Field a strong team. Beat that Bournemouth side. Mm. And, and and then you don't have all of these questions. I think if you're thinking that an under-par Everton at the moment can beat an under-par Bournemouth, then you're probably kidding yourselves right now because you just got to look mm. at the, the confidence within the squads. Yeah, and it doesn't matter what the competition is. A win is a win. And it's feeling so desperate, I think, for many Everton fans at the moment. They don't care how the win comes. They just want to see uh, some sort of, you know, positive result in there don't they it's when it feels like it's like it's all going incredibly badly indeed to lighten this up and of course uh, lightening up the jungle in Australia Jill Scott quick mention for Jill because we know how brilliant she is having worked with her for so many years in fact having followed you know Jill was one of the footballers who we were following well over a decade ago in women's football we know how brilliant she is she's very eccentric she's great for team unity she's always been one of those characters um and she's doing brilliantly in i'm a celebrity and she's she's really caught the nation's hearts hasn't she mm-hmm. i went in before it all started into a bookies and thought, right <gasps> i've got to do did it did you yeah yeah we've oh, got well to get done. behind her the so i put 10 pounds mm. 10 pounds down five to one she was very oh, short very odds. good I think they've suspended betting on her or certainly did for a period, uh, especially after the first show. The show's actually on during my radio show, so I'm catching up with bits and clips afterwards. I'm catching up as well, so I'm not quite 100% up to speed, but I did see the one where she did the Deals on Wheels challenge. It was the, you know, the dingo 
it used to be called the Dingo Challenge or whatever it was. And um, it was spaghetti. <laughs> Lindsay Hooper and I'm a celeb knowledge. Goodness me. <laughs> um, spaghetti crossword. And I was shouting out. I was laughing so hard that the aphrodisiac, you know, the oyster. How many people were shouting at their TV at Owen and Jill? Oyster! and also cockavan they couldn't spell (laughs) poor chill Uh, she's been she's been dancing she's been of course uh doing that doing that plank challenge i thought that that was brilliant and that and and that gave you a real demonstration of jill as well about um about what a motivator she is she's a real laugh and she's really funny and eccentric but she's also uh, a really good motivator and i think everyone in the camp and outside the camp's falling in love with her so i think i think that's absolutely brilliant for jill scott last week i interviewed jermaine genus i said i was going to do that didn't i yeah how Um, did that go uh really 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 well actually and we talked about a lot about how he struggled with depression um with in his career with injury but also after he retired as well and how he uh, sought some help sought some therapy and what that did for him and he's kind of on a bit of a mission I know he's spoken about it before about how he's trying to destigmatize mental health really in football but we, we also talked about Qatar as well and I asked him you know whether as a broadcaster he'd had quite a bit of deliberation about about whether he go to the tournament or not and I'm sure this is the case for perhaps some players but definitely pundits you almost need to have a bit of a conversation with yourself you know yes I want this gig yes this is my job but at what point is there a crossover and how do you deal with that in terms of trying to reflect the fact that Qatar was awarded the World Cup wrongly certainly Set Blatter's been out this week and sort of endorsed that, but also mm, a bit late, the, isn't it? Yeah, it well, that the yeah, beginning. exactly. Really good timing. Thank you, Set. Once again, rises to the challenge of being one of the most detested men in football. But anyway, so the deliberation really about how there's human rights abuses, migrant workers have died during the construction of the stadiums. Um, they are of uh, they are of course anti-gay. It's illegal to be a homosexual over there. All of these things. Does he take that that into consideration? And he said, you know, yes, honestly, that he did think about that, and that his his sort of line to me and the and the, the takeaway from it was that as broadcasters and representing the BBC as he's going to be doing so, they have a responsibility to tell all the stories of the World Cup. And that is, those are the good stories and the not so good stories. So that's kind of his approach, really. As long as they are honest and upfront and paint the picture correctly and fairly, then yes, it's okay to cover it. Yeah, I I was listening as well to Kelly Cates talking about it. and, um, And I thought she made a really good point and we can also weigh in here with Jurgen Klopp and what he said about the players. You know, it's not up to the players to protest, just like it's not up to journalists or anyone who works in football to protest. The football decision makers ultimately chose to have this tournament in Qatar. That was FIFA. That was a, a select committee that that assessed all of the bids and decided that it should go there. Now, we, we know that we all have um, a raised eyebrow as to how we think that came about. But it came about and it's happened. So if you're a football journalist, for instance, your your job is to cover football. If the biggest tournament happens to be in Qatar, that is not our problem. It's the problem of the organisers. The, the decision stopped with them. It's the same with players. If you're a football player and you have XDX years of potential to play major tournaments, you're not going to take yourself out of one. They're only every four years, the World Cup. So it's not up to them to make the protest. You don't have to agree with it. I, I'm not going. I don't agree with it. But that isn't why I'm not going. It's purely because of a, a contract clashes and reasons. But 
if I was asked to, would I find it comfortable? No. Would I enjoy it? Have I been talking about the lead up to this tournament like I have others? No, I haven't because all of that has seeped into my mind. But ultimately, my job is to talk about football and broadcast about football. So I go where the football is. Yeah. Um, And that's when it comes down to a sporting decision, I suppose. And it and it does it does offer a conundrum, doesn't it, really, when you talk about everything else going on around the World Cup. And um, I think players will protest and actually have been protesting during the qualifiers um, as well. Several teams, in fact, I think according to FIFA rules, you're allowed to to wear a slogan on your T-shirt before the game. So if you're doing the kind of warm up before the game, um, you are allowed to put statements on your gear. You just can't do it during the game. Mm. Um, But look, we'll uh, see how it all plays out. A quick reminder that you can subscribe to us at The Offside Rule on your favourite podcasting app. Do it. Uh, You can also follow us on Twitter at Offside Rule Pod and uh, check out our brilliant website as well, offsiderulepodcast.com. Gentlemen, there's never a bad time to upgrade your grooming game. And with the World Cup just around the corner, allow us to tell you about the latest offer from the good people at Manscaped. Right now, when you head to manscaped.com and enter the offer code EPL20, you'll get 20% off everything and free shipping. Manscaped's Premium Package 4.0 has everything you need to keep you looking and smelling your best, including the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer with its advanced skin safe technology. The Weed Whacker trimmer is just the thing for dealing with those stragglers in your ears and nose, while the Ultra Premium Body Wash and 2-in-1 Shampoo and Conditioner will leave your hair and body feeling hydrated and feeling fresh. And if you haven't yet tried Manscaped's Performance Boxer Briefs, well, your plums are in for a treat. See the full range for yourself at manscaped.com and get 20% off and free shipping with the code EPL20. That's M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com and the code EPL20. Trust us, your balls will thank you. All right, well, let's get cracking with our headline topic today on VAR. And it couldn't come at a better time, really, could it? Once again, decisions, whether right or wrong, have dominated the post-match discussion after the latest round of Premier League fixtures. The penalty given against Anthony Robinson for a foul on Kevin De Bruyne, Jao Cancelo's red card in the same game, Trent Alexander-Arnold's push on Ryan Sessegnon and Dean Henderson's tackle on Johan Wisser, to name but four of those decisions. It's fair to say there are a number of controversial calls over the weekend. It's three and a half years since the implementation of VAR. And look, it's still being criticised on a weekly basis. So today, uh, we want to have a discussion about whether those dissenting voices are fair. And if so, is there an opportunity to improve the system? To do this, really pleased to say that we're joined by Dermot Gallagher, who refereed in the Premier League from 92 to 2007. And welcome to the Offside Rule, Dermot. Thank you. Uh, tell me, when the idea of VAR was first muted for the Premier League, were you in favour of it? I'm in favour of anything, Kate, that um, helps the referees. You know, as long as it's not there to replace the referee, it's there to supplement him. And I think over the last three and a half years, we've seen that in the Premier League. You know, there's people still not happy with it, but that's always going to be the case. But my glass is half full. And if you see 10 decisions that they've got six in a better place, you know, that's a massive progress. And I think clubs will say the same. So you still broadly feel the same? You still broadly support it? Yeah, I do. I I support it because um, I can look back on my career and think of, you know, a few decisions where I think if VAR had been there, 
it to save me a long, painful drive home afterwards. <laughs> Do you think that the biggest complaint is the length of time it takes for a decision to be made? It, would you say that the general consensus from fans is that that is the biggest frustration? For the fans on the ground, yes, I think that's a fair shout. But what you have to remember, Lindsay, is that if somebody rushes a decision, and I, I can't remember the one, there was one rushed at New, Newcastle and Watford a few years ago. There was a handball. It wasn't picked up. And uh, everybody said afterwards, well, look, you're saying you only looked at two or three angles. You've got six cameras available. Why don't you check them all? We don't care how long it takes as long as we come to the right decision. And I think that's the nature of the beast, isn't it? Mm. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Can you see an introduction whereby on the big screens, we in the stadium will all be part of that decision process in terms of being able to hear what's going on? Because I think maybe that's the biggest frustration is that there's just silence. I think if people realise what's going on, the amount of angles spoiling back, the discussion that's happening at the same time, I think that could alleviate some of the, the tension about it. I think that's inevitable that will come, but I think it will come in time because I think what you have to do with the VAR is you've got to people get people to buy into it at certain levels. And when it came, there was a lot of sceptics. There was no doubt about that. It was people saying, well, this is going to spoil the game. This is for the Premier League. You know, we're playing football in Bodicut. We don't have that. You know, the Premier League's only 10 matches a week. But they're the biggest 10 matches a week, aren't they? They're the most high-profile um, this is where everything cascades down from. I think what we've seen, we've seen a move from a quicker decision-making. We've seen communication in the grounds now. We've seen the big screens. At 18 of the grounds, they've got the jumbotrons. And we now see straight away checking for offside, checking for handball, checking for penalty. And if the decision is overturned, you now see a video quickly of that incident. So it, it appeases the fans, if you like, to go, oh, yeah, I didn't realise that in the ground, which I sit in grounds and I go, oh, I didn't see that. And then you see it on a screen later when you go home, you think, wow, I didn't realise that. Yeah, I, I saw an incident last night where referee gave a free kick in a game. And I just thought, oh, yeah, that's, that's foul. The VAR checked it and it was actually on the, on the penalty line. So the referee had to reverse it and give a penalty. Well, nobody with a naked eye would have spotted that. And, you know, if that took a little bit of time to get to that decision, it has got to the right decision. It's a massive decision whether you give a free kick or a penalty. I think many people will say, though, that that's, that that's not the game of football. The, the game of football and sport wasn't designed to be analysed by, by television pictures, by technology, that it stops a free-flowing game. Um, and surely part of sport, part of winning and losing, is that, is that jeopardy element? We, we have to remember the genie's out of the bottle, isn't it? You know, we're, we're not going backwards, <laughs> you know. Remember the famous rant, Watford and Southampton, Charlie Austin, you know, give them VAR. We've got the technology, give them, help them. That, that's what he said. It was a really, really passionate speech after a game where he felt they'd had a goal disallowed. Um, we all remember that one. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that really was a trigger point. A bit like, you know, Frank, Frank Lampard's goal in Blomfontein for GDS. You know, there's always a tipping point. And I think when it came, everybody said from the referee's body that, you know, it's not going to be utopia. You're not going to go home thinking, yeah, every decision's right because many, many decisions are subjective. And all mm-hmm. three of us can sit at a football match and we could see an incident, a very complicated incident. We could come to three different decisions sat and, you know, alongside each other. That's how it is. The factual ones, the offsides, the handballs are the inner penalty area. You know, the factual ones are relatively easy. It's just a matter of getting the right angles. But the 
subjective ones will always be at risk to people because people, you know, you look at the um, the Trent Alexander one on Sunday, 50% say penalty, 50% say no. So no matter what the referee says or the VAR says, you're always going to have half the people upset. Do you think that the laws of the game, there are some modifications that could be made to make VAR's life easier? Uh, Give me an example, please. So I'm thinking of offsides in particular. So at the moment, we, we had this discussion, didn't we, about, and that's gone back and forth, um, about the if it's a clear and obvious offside, then the, the linesman or woman puts the flag up. Otherwise, it was do not interfere with play, let it carry on, and then you can bring it back as an example. Well, let's, let's look at a shove in the box. Let's say that there's a corner kick coming in. Is there something in the way that the laws of the game could be modified that would help so that it's not just an interpretation? I'm trying to think of a better example, but I think, you know, when it's it's more of a 50-50 and then we've gone to the monitor and then it's meant to be clear and obvious. It's that clear and obvious area where I think a lot of debate often happens where it's like, well, well that, that wasn't clear and obvious. So is that down to the laws of the game is what I'm trying to get at? I think it's down to individuals, Lindsay, honestly. Offside, interesting you asked offside first. Offside, I think, is the thing that people have embraced the most. I think the fact that they've um, given this little bit of a, a tolerance level in, we've gone from the Johnny Lundstrom, you know, if he wore size six boots, he wouldn't have been offside. He wore size eight boots at Tottenham that time. We've gone away from that. And I think people have embraced that. And you don't get much debate now at matches. If, if it comes up offside, onside, people go, yeah, the system's there. We have, to, we have to work with it. The ones you say, you know, about pushing and shoving, it's very, very interesting because we all in life have slightly different tolerance levels. Referees the same. You know, we, on a subjective decision, my tolerance level might be slightly higher than yours. So therefore, I might let a little bit more go than you do in a game. You know, that's, that's my choice. That's what I'm there for. You, you say about 50-50 decisions. That's really what the referee's there for. Because when I refereed in the Premier League or any level, you know, if I refereed up the Village Park at Bodica, 70-80% of my decisions, I didn't really have to worry about. You know, not that I worried about the other 20%. What I'm saying is they, they were just, everybody could have gave them on the field, you know, throw-ins, whatever. It's the 20% that you would say that could go either way. They're the ones that the referee really has to step up to the plate. They're the ones he's there for the ones that the players can't agree on. And at the moment, would you say that, that the referee's being backed enough? Because those ones that are 50-50 that you're talking about, we've seen those overturned. We've seen them asked to go to the monitor. And then in the analysis afterwards, it, it was, you know, why didn't they stick with the on-field decision? Because that was his mm. interpretation at that time. Um, is there too much of that? When the referee goes to the monitor, it's because... Uh, we, we, we make you and me the VAR referee, if you like. So I referee, and I think no penalty. You look at the screen and you go, Derm, I think it's a penalty. So you send me to the monitor. You've sent me to the monitor because you feel that I've made a mistake in, you, in your mind because you judge that slightly different to I do or you might have seen something I haven't. When I go to the monitor, I retain all options. I can go penalty. I can go no penalty. I can stick my own decision. But bear in mind that when you're sent to the monitor, by definition, you know, you're only going to the monitor if, if you send me to the monitor, you think it's a clear and obvious mis mistake. So I'm already going to the monitor thinking, well, you know, I've got to look at this studiously. And if I go to the monitor, often I see something I didn't. You know, when you see it happens so fast, you know, I saw a tackle uh, Rotherham and Norwich at the weekend. You know, I know it's in the um, 
in the championship. And the referee gave a dive. And everybody's like 50-50. You know, oh, it's not a dive, it's a penalty. And that's the difficulty. The referee's got to make that judgment. The VAR's got to make that judgment. But ultimately, it goes back to the referee. It's always an on-field decision unless it's factual. Mm. Um, when it was first introduced, um, do you remember, Linz, all the conversations, and I'm sure Dermot, you too, uh, all the conversations were dominated by the fact that referees um, were not going to the monitor enough. Yeah. Um, at, uh, and it was like, how long until we get the first monitor? How long until the first review, the first over? So, so there was definitely at that time um, not much of it going on at all. That's that's changed somewhat. Um, I just wonder whether there's a danger, Dermot, from a referee's point of view. Um, it should largely just go down to the on-field decision, as you say. But but VAR, v- VAR has you know has the potential to become a bit of a crutch that if you're not sure then you might as well go to it anyway perhaps it makes you as a referee question your judgment because you know you've always got a backup option you've always got a get out clause is that the case is there a danger of of games being over the use of VAR being overused in games because it's become a crutch does it stop the referee from believing in their own conviction that's very interesting because I have a bit of a notion on this that you have to referee the game and why I say you have to referee the game because if it's one of them that's a subjective decision we say the Trent Alexander one because as I say people are split on that if the referee decides well I'm not sure I'll throw it to VAR what you have to remember is there's two tolerance levels here. There's a referee's tolerance level on the field. And then there's the VAR's tolerance. Because he's not there to judge the referee's made the correct decision. He's there to judge, has he made a clear and obvious error? So that his tolerance level is slightly higher. So the danger there, if the referee decides I've got a crutch, to use your words, and throws it to the VAR, it may well be a penalty gets overlooked. So I think you've got to be very mindful. The referee has to be diligent on the field and he has to make his decision. And then if the VAR steps in, he then has to go to the screen again with an open mind. He doesn't have to go with this, oh, I've got to change my mind. He's got to go and look, as I say, consider all options. One area that I'd love to get your opinion on is diving. Um, (laughs) because I've seen many a time that slow-mo and we see the player has had no touch whatsoever and they're diving to the floor and that's spoiled back and we see it again and again and it's like no no penalty now you you dived what we never see I don't think I've seen this one is a player staying on their feet that should have got a penalty and that being reviewed so if we're to get rid of diving out the game, which again is one of the top things that fans tend to complain about, certainly on the men's side, then we have to be able to reward the players that stay on their feet. Yet there is, there is no incentive for, for players to do that at the moment because we never see those overturned. We never see that even brought to light. It's, uh, it's a difficult subject, Lindsay, honestly. If you think from a referee's point of view, I, I can remember too, I mean, the Steven Gerrard was given a penalty at Sheffield United many years ago in the Premier League. Uh, he stayed on his feet and there was uproar. People wouldn't believe it was a penalty. The other one I remember when Jamie Vardy went through and Minilay caught him and uh, Jamie Vardy stayed on his feet and the referee gave a penalty and a red card. So it does happen. I know it's, uh, I know it's very, very rare, but it does happen. And I think if in that situation, the referee's got to be very mindful that there is a foul. You know, that, that's the bottom line. You know, it, whether a player stops on his feet or whether he goes to ground, the key decision is, has a foul been committed? Mm-hmm. I think that's the be-all and end-all. Lindsay, from your perspective, um, I'm going to hark back 
sort of to one for the traditionalist here and say that it still upsets me that it does stop a free flowing game. We have to stop uh, for reviews to be made. Is it frustrating for you as as a journalist, you know, someone who's whose job it is to get to get across the spirit of the game, the spirit of football, that it stop and start so much? And also it's it's completely ruined goal celebrations, hasn't it? Because we're waiting. Yeah. Was it, wasn't it? So the goal celebrations I'm completely on board with. I, I hate that, you know, tentative um, move away. And then you think they're going to run and, and go to the corner flag and jump on in each other. And then they're looking back and they're like, no, we we actually had it at the Women's Euro, didn't we, with Chloe Kelly, where she was like, was it goal? Was it goal? And before we get that iconic celebration. So I think the celebrating for sure and I think it also means that we we have on delay the fans' reaction as well. We don't get it when we should. So I think mm. that can be that that can take something away. From my point of view, you know, I am lucky enough that I get a monitor and I get all of the replays. So there's things that I'm seeing that people in the crowd aren't seeing. So from my job's point of view, I get to go, oh, you know what? Look, like Dermot said earlier. I hadn't seen that at first look. And now you can see that that foot was dangling or whatever it is. So all in all, I think I, I think it's been a positive on the whole. I do think there's still teething problems. I still think that, you know, the celebration that we mentioned, the amount of time sometimes that it takes. Another thing to bring in for Dermot is, I don't know why it feels like in Europe when I'm watching Champions League, it, it happens quicker. Or is that in my imagination? <laughs> Why are the Europeans much more efficient at this, uh, at this than us, uh, is Lindsay's question here, seemingly. Um, don't forget there's uh, two English referees referee in Europe, so it might be them games you're watching. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say something interesting to say about goal celebration? Because it's actually spawned a different type of fan. I was at the Celtic game the other week and um, there was a goal scored by the opposition. And it took a little while, and the goal was disallowed. And the biggest roar on the ground was a Celtic player, Celtic fan, <laughs> celebrating that the goal was disallowed. Yeah. So it has brought that. Yeah, it yeah. certainly has. On timings, by the way, a little flick back through my stats book tells me that in 2019-2020, the average decision took 50 seconds. The Premier League, so I think this is last season, says the average time for a full VAR review with an overturned decision is 84 seconds, so nearly a minute and a half. But it feels longer than that, Dermot. And this is what I'm saying about it upsetting the flow of football. Um, it's also denied us some brilliant goals. I'm thinking of Brighton's Alexis McAllister's oh, I was top there. corner thunderbolt. I was Do you remember that? Against that Leicester, oh, exactly, gosh, Lindsay. Yeah. In early September. Now that goal went thundering in. Leicester did not contest it. Both sides fully accepted it. But the ref had to disallow it because there was a VAR review and it was found that Mwepu was in an offside position. In that case, everyone was happy until VAR intervened. And, and that, that's when I have a bit of a problem. Yeah, I get, I get that. But don't forget when it's shown on Match of the Day or Sky later that evening, it will be an uproar then, won't it? Because all them supporters will say... Oh look, this is offside. That should have been disallowed. You know, that's the nature of the beast. Unfortunately, isn't it? You know, I, I remember seeing a very, very tight offside in the Premier League a few years ago, and everybody on the pundit pundit said, "This isn't what it's there for. It's not there for that. It's not there to find an arm or a leg offside." And later that night, Derby played, and Darren Bent scored a goal. And when they replayed it, his knee was just offside, and said, "We must have VAR because this is offside. We've got to give this." And you know. You, you can't have it both ways. You've got to accept that with offside, 
it's factual, isn't it? It is or it isn't. And you, you can't... I mean, I saw the Motherwell goal on Sunday against Hearts. You know, absolute stunning goal. The bloke will probably never score another goal like oh, it. Oh, I feel for but, them so much. But he's, he's just offside and, you know... Yeah. It, it is what it is, isn't it? It's it's there and I, I think most people have embraced the offside. There is the odd one, as we've discussed, but by and large, I think everybody's very comfortable with VAR and offside. I've heard people raise concern about the fact that the referees in the control room in Stockley Park, they're often expected to be officials at a match the next day. Is there anything to this, that this is fatiguing referees because they now have extra commitments that um, involve a fair bit of travelling? Or is that just someone getting grumpy about it, Mm -hmm. a lone voice? I think what you find, Kate, is that if a referee is in Stockley Park as a VAR on a Saturday, he'd probably be refereeing at Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea, West Ham, Crystal Palace on a Sunday. You know, he's not going to be going from Stockley Park up to Newcastle. You know, it's it's done very, very graphically, that uh, geographically, that his, his travelling is minimal. What do you make okay. of all these um, ex-footballers who, who say there should be a, a former pro in the room, Dermot? <laughs> um, it's just not going to happen at the moment, is it? You know, <laughs> no. FIFA, Well, it, it's not me saying that. It's FIFA, isn't it? FIFA, this protocol, they've stuck very rigidly to it. It has to... I mean, I can't be a VAR. You know, I refereed in the Champions League, I refereed in the World Cup, and I'm not qualified to be a VAR because you have to be a referee within the last three years at that level. Um, so that's their protocol at the moment, whether that will bend. We've seen things change in the last three and a half years, um, and things will change. There's no doubt about that. Things will go forward. That's what we do in life. But at the moment, you know, it's it's not going to happen for certainly not this season. Let's talk about the future of VAR then to round this up. Obviously, clubs at the moment with more limited budgets don't have the resources or the equipment, do they, to make it economically viable? FIFA's talked about this this new concept, a VAR light. So the idea of VAR light is that it would have um, the same technology, but fewer cameras. So therefore be cheaper, which I'm sure would be just the thing for many clubs. It wouldn't include, for example, cameras to assess offside decisions, but it would allow referees to review contentious incidents. Which they've got in Scotland. Right. Okay, fine. Tell Tell us whether that is a success and whether you think that that works and could be an option for the lower leagues here in this country. Well, I think it depends, Kate, whether you go into it, you know, to embrace it or whether you go into it to be negative. Um, if you go into it, and we've seen, I think it's three weeks in Scotland now, Sky showed me a lot of clips on a Monday morning. There's lots of positives. You know, we've seen a red card overturn for a yellow card, which would have been a red card on a field player, would have served a three-match ban. We've seen uh, penalties given that wasn't given on field. You've seen decisions reversed. Now, if only half, of, I, I don't know the stats, but if only half of them you agree with, not whether you say they're right or wrong, but if only half of them you agree with, it's 50% more decisions out of them, that batch, that are right, that wouldn't have been right with a referee only on the field. Okay, all right. And in terms of more broadly, um, when we look at VAR, I think I think one of my main complaints is that VAR was meant to be brought in so that we'd stop talking so much and, uh, <laughs> and going on about referee decisions. And of course, we're still talking about it just as much, so that hasn't worked. Is VAR here to stay? And um, I think Lindsay mentioned this earlier, really, about about whether it will evolve and how it evolves in the seasons to come. As I say, the genie's out of the bottle. It's In football, it's a one-way street, isn't it? Once we decide to progress something, we go forward, we go forward. Unless it's an experiment on a tournament or something which they're going to try out. Once you actually implement something like they have, it's there forever. 
And I think what they have to do now is tweak it, tweak it, tweak it. You know, as we get to this stage, we move to the next stage, like you do in life, like football has. You know, if we look back to football when I come to this country in 1973, it's a different game. It's a totally mm. different game. Very true. <laughs> All right, well, let's round it up there. Um, a really interesting discussion about VAR. It's basically here to say you cannot undo it, is what Dermot's uh, overriding conclusion <laughs> is. And I just wonder, actually, Linz, whether it's the same for you as well. Um, has so much money, technology, hard work been put into this um, that there's no way that it's going to be retracted? It, it is just now a feature of our modern game. Yeah, it is. And also, we're, we're just about to go into a World Cup. If there's one thing we could eradicate from history, it would be that hand of God. And I'm Trust me, VAR would. So from that point of view, it's got my backing. So it might need tweaking. There might be a few seconds that we can get back here and there in stadiums. But yeah, overall, it's welcome. Lindsay, the hand of God, did you mean Thierry Henry? Yeah, Thierry Henry as well. Exactly, exactly. Um, All right, well, we'll have to see how it features during this World Cup, of course. Dermot Gallagher, former Premier League referee, it's been lovely to be joined by you. Thank you. Thank you. Our thanks to Dermot Gallagher there. Some really interesting food for thought, isn't there? Um, quick plug, by the way, from me for the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Lindsay this week joined by the Athletics' Nancy Frostick and freelance football writer Rich Laverty uh, to go through the weekend's WSL action as usual. Uh, topics of conversation, should players be appealing for more penalties? This wouldn't be a problem in the Premier League, would it? Uh, but as far as women's football goes, it is a hot topic of conversation. And also weather as well. Why is the weather still getting in the way of fixtures in the women's game? And aside from that, we've heard from Beth Mead uh, this week about her opinion. She said she's not backing. That was the phrase she used at the World Cup in Qatar uh, because she doesn't agree with the awarding of it. She thinks it's disappointing it's being held in Qatar. Um, And there's an extended interview that you did with Beth Mead the other week, Lindsay, we forgot to mention it last week, that I know um, has been going great guns. It's been a really popular episode. It has. I think it got to the top top six or so in Spotify's sports podcast chart. Really interesting conversation with Beth about what she's achieved in the in the last few years but touching on many many more topics that have been covered in her book which is out I think in shops now so um Mm. yeah have a listen if you haven't already Uh, all eyes on the Champions League we had the draw this week as well Lindsay look Liverpool up against Real Madrid I mean this is this is the kind of draw where you're just like okay we go again Mm. uh in the last 60 Liverpool play Real Madrid Dortmund Chelsea Leipzig Manchester City but I know uh, you've been having well you've had a special focus on Tottenham haven't you this season yeah so I'm covering Spurs in the Champions League for UEFA this season. So yeah, I have I have been looking out for for the draw for them and they got Milan. Um they're going to be away um to Milan first of all. So that that's a really interesting tie. I've I've been to the San Siro, Kate. We know it's not going to be for much longer, but I've been there once. Um, I won't be doing the away trips, though. So, unfortunately, I can't go and gorge on all that lovely Italian food, oh, which I would love pasta. to. I could, I could yeah. just do with a bowl of pasta right now, actually. But Spurs have been an interesting one. I've got to say that the Champions League, yes, you know, they managed to top the group, but, you know, by the skin of their teeth in the end. The, there's been moments for Spurs where you've seen... Richarlison scoring some some brilliant goals. Benton Kerr has really driven the team. But I just feel for them that not everyone has been on the same 
team sheet, if you, for want of another <laughs> phrase. Um, of course, they're on the same team sheet, but you know, not on the same hymn sheet at times. Mm. And and I do wonder that it's going to need to seriously click, I think, against Milan. Well, Liverpool have got that problem domestically. Uh, we seem to be really good in the Champions League. Uh, that's another conundrum. Actually, this week, then, I've been following the situation at Liverpool in terms of the ownership. We heard yeah. a, a couple of nights ago that they were, well, the it all started off with Fenway Sports Group, you know, open to selling Liverpool. And they said, actually, we just want a valuation for the club because we want new shareholders, which makes sense. They want to be able to compete with Manchester City. They need more money into the club. The club's value has gone up tremendously since they first bought it for, what, £300 million, I think, in 2010. And now it's worth more than £3 billion. I mean, that is a fantastic business model, but it just does mean that they can generate more money. However, as we're recording this, apparently we understand that there was a sales brochure circulated to potentially interested parties last month. I know the Times have been following this, which is why I've been doing a bit of work on it, and that um, the owners will listen to offers of more than £3 billion. That's the latest as we record this. So um, it is it is a slightly confusing picture and a bit upsetting for Liverpool fans. We told one thing and then we told, oh, actually, uh, we are open to offers. But I think we'll just see this one rumble on and um, uh, throughout the season we'll have to see where it goes but we just I just don't I just don't want for the club a really protracted ownership discussion to be honest it's the last thing they need I mean the one of the stories that I've been um distracted by amongst all of this is the parting gifts did you see that article Kate (laughs) no this time of year I want to say it could be gold frankincense and myrrh but I think it's more in the form of Bellingham and oh, two well, other players. Yeah, well, Bellingham has been muted for ages. He's meant to be, uh, that's meant to be happening uh, in the summer, isn't it? Um, in fact, so much so that my son Arthur asked me nearly every week uh, when Jude Bellingham is going to join Liverpool. I have, mm. have, to keep, have to keep telling him to calm down, son. It, calm could, down. Be the, it could be the parting gift, though. Well... I think I'd I think I quite I quite like our ownership. But look, let's see what happens on that one. You know, I mentioned Christmas last week. Have you seen the Sports Direct Christmas ads? They are a parody uh, of all that is good and bad uh, about ads in the lead up to Christmas TV ads. Uh, my favorite one, which which again to bring my son into this again, completely confused Arthur, was Mason Mount and Eric Cantona. Uh, mimicking a fragrance ad. It's brilliantly done this, actually. And you've got Mason Mount sniffing a football boot and saying, Eau de footy, um, <laughs> which, which just, as, as I said, uh, appeared to be very confusing to a seven-year-old who just did not get it. Uh, there's a big one, a big family dinner one as well, where they're saying, can you pass me this? Can you pass me that? And Emma Hayes is in that one with um, yes, Cantona and Thierry Henry. Really, really good. I like those. I like those Christmas ads. Yeah, I'm sure we're going to, be bombarded with more of them that one actually is pretty good but I, I Christmas ads usually are more bearable than the other ads the rest of the year in my opinion oh really yeah you, you, they usually pull out all the stops throw a bit more money at it the, I, I love some of the Sainsbury's ones over the years yes and I really like the elf uh, rejuvenation that Asda's been doing so basically Asda's ad is with Will Ferrell and Clips from oh, Elf, yeah. kind of yeah. digitally mastered to make sense. Uh, I like that one too. Talking of Christmas, someone who is tripping into the festive season 
Uh, and doing really, really well at the moment. He must be absolutely thrilled. Kieran Trippier. Oh, my word. He has found his form. I, I thought a few seasons ago that we'd seen, just before he got his move to Spain, I thought we'd seen the best season that we'd ever see Kieran Trippier have. But, oh, no, he's there to prove us wrong. Um, he is on fire for Newcastle. There have been so many injuries. We are in that precarious position as well, Kate, whereby we're recording this and then um, the next day... Uh, Gareth Southgate will be announcing his squad list for the World Cup. There's no doubt that Kieran Trippier is going to be on there, especially with all the Mm. injuries at the moment. The fact that he offers something as well from the dead ball situations, free kicks that we've seen him score for England before, but the way that he's been managing to work rate-wise, get up and down that flank has really astounded me. I think he seems to be someone that's getting younger. He's like the Benjamin Button <laughs> of the football world for me at the minute. So Kieran Trippier, I'm I'm hanging a lot of hopes on him for this World Cup. So please, 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 I'm crossing my fingers. I just hope he doesn't get any injury or anything. We know that he has been injured at the start of this season. Yeah. We don't want any more he injuries. He took a knock at the weekend, didn't he? But he yes. appears to be fine, basically. Now. Oh, do you think Eddie Howe might just rest him for this weekend? Mm. That it's, it's, that, around, it's that yeah. nervous time of year, isn't it? But yeah, he, he's surely got to be someone uh, whom Gareth Southgate includes. Uh, we know that Rhys James uh, isn't going. That's That's been widely, rec- widely reported as we record this on Wednesday morning. Uh, we'll have to see. Uh, who else is in the squad? It, it, it does it does add to the build up, I suppose. This is the, this is sort of one of those benchmark moments, isn't it, Linz, that gets us all excited for the tournament ahead, despite the various controversies surrounding it, as we've already discussed. Um, mm. Let's wind it up there. Our big thanks, by the way, it's really nice, wasn't it, to speak to Premier League former Premier League referee Dermot Gallagher. So thanks to Dermot for joining us. Um, Haley, hopefully, we'll, we'll be back with us uh, next week. She's got other commitments um, this week, uh, so hopefully, more from Haley next week and. Uh, more from us too um just a quick one from me that we love your feedback on the show do follow us too by the way the more follows uh, the longer it goes um let us know what you like or dislike totally up to you uh, and you can check us out on twitter at offside rule pod on twitter and on instagram um what does your schedule look like for the next few days then hoops I've got a lengthy trip up to Shrewsbury to see them play Oxford for soccer special later. Um, I am having a hotel, Kate, because um, oh, I then go in. And if Haley is in work tomorrow, I don't know because she's got some other commitments, obviously, at the moment. But if she is, I'll be doing my chat with her uh, about WSL on set. Um, on Saturday, I'm doing a double. I'm doing West Brom <laughs> followed by Wolves. <laughs> West Brom followed by Wolves. Yeah, okay. two matches in one day. Um, how much time have you got to travel between both of them? Oh, it's fine. Yeah, it was a couple of hours. Oh, yeah, way. fine. Fine. Traffic will be fine, won't it? <laughs> I hope so. Uh, goodness me, packing it in uh, before the World Cup. Are you taking a bit of a breather during the World Cup? But I, I suppose you've got uh, women's football action anyway, haven't you, during that period? Yeah, there are some EFL matches that continue um, for a little bit. And there's some WSL games, uh, I think maybe two or three. But the rest of the World Cup, I get a little bit more time back, Kate. I'm, I'm off to the Cotswolds, your, your neck of the woods, where you grew up. Oh, very nice. Yeah. I won't ask where, in case all the fans turn up, Linz. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but enjoy your slice of the countryside. That's coming up soon, isn't it? Um, listen, thank you so much for listening, and we'll join you again next week. You've been listening to the Offside Rule, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Offside at offsiderulepodcast.com and by following at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and Insta. 
Check out all of The Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on The Athletic app. The Athletic. Sports Social Podcast Network.